Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Steve. Did everybody get through the weather okay? I know. It's a crazy downpour outside. Going to get lots of rain. Rain's good though, right? Yeah. Si hablas español, bienvenidos a Shelby Road Baptist Church. I want to make sure that everybody here feels welcome today. We love that you guys are here and you made time for joining us in worship today. Well, we're in a series called Lies Believers Believe, and we are covering in this series four different lies that we think are kind of the prime lies. They're kind of the ones that we tend to buy into as believers most easily because sometimes we buy into a lie without even knowing it. And it's important that we identify them. And so we're going to hit lie number three today. Before we get there, uh, <laughs> when I was 12 years old, I know I was 10. I think I was 10. I did something that I'd never done before in my entire life. I played music in front of people. Anybody, and it was piano. Who are my piano lesson people out there? You know? Yeah. Took piano lessons. How many of you stuck with it longer than a year? Two years? All the hands are going to start to go down soon. I don't know if you saw on my, uh, on my Facebook page, I posted a video. It's a kind of a funny video of music and lo- musical notation, but it's of, a, it's of somebody practicing piano. So it actually like has the notes of all of the hits of frustration <laughs> as you're practicing. Piano's hard. And then... I had this moment where the pastor of my church said, you should play for church next week. And for some dumb reason, I said yes. And that reason was my mom made me do it. (laughs) So there I am up in front of people. Here's the problem is that I was very nervous. I was incredibly nervous. I had all kinds of questions rolling around in my brain about whether or not I could do this. And when I get nervous, I shake. Helpful for playing piano or not helpful for playing piano? (laughs) It was a train wreck. But I got through it and uh, managed to get to a place where I would continue to play music in front of people for a very long time. I just switched instruments. (laughs) We have big moments like this in our lives. We have big ones. They, They come up all the time where, you know, right from the time that you're a little kid, you start having moments like this where you're kind of humming along in life, everything's good, and then all of a sudden something comes up and it's something that you've got to do and you think, well, man, I don't know. Am I going to be able to do this? Can I get this done? I don't know that I can. Right? When you're a kid, one of these first moments maybe is getting on the school bus for the first time. (laughs) Getting on the school bus for the first time. Maybe you're, uh, you know, you're the kind of kid that has no problem with that. But I know plenty of them that are standing at the opening of the door going, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Plenty of parents standing back asking asking themselves the same question. I don't know if I'm ready for this, right? But it goes on from there. There are a lot more moments like this in our lives, right? Making friends in the lunchroom, 
I got to go sit by this person and ask them questions and actually get to know them. And maybe they're going to like me. Maybe they're not going to like me, right? Sometimes we have this as adults too. Making friends is hard. Uh, Turning in that first big assignment. I don't know if I can do this. Asking the girl to the dance. Taking the driver's test. Who are my uh, two-time driver's test people? Dude, you don't have to admit that. It's fine. (laughs) I got knocked two points off because I corrected myself in a parallel park. Can you believe that? Yeah. Just backed in, and then I pulled in a little bit. Just, it was like, it was half a second, and they're like two points off. No wonder people get really nervous before those things. Helpful or not helpful for driving. Um, Applying to college. Am I going to get in? Trying out for the team. Interviewing for the job. We have these moments. Asking her to marry me. Getting married. Trying to have kids. And if you do have kids, having kids. (laughs) I don't know if I'm ready for this. Right? Buying a house, starting a business, having a difficult conversation, uh, enduring the unexpected diagnosis, standing firm when you know that you need to do what's right and everybody else around you is doing what's wrong. These are the kinds of moments that we have. And when we come up against them, we start asking ourselves questions like, can I do this? I don't know if I can do this. Maybe I can do this. And so we come to lie number three. And I'm just going to prepare you, if you haven't seen it already on social media, this one might be one that you might be inclined to disagree with at first, and that's okay, all right? I understand why. Just go here with me, all right? So lie number three is this. God wants me to believe in myself, It's a lie. And you might think, well, I don't, th- I don't think so. What's wrong with that? Well, belief, the way that Scripture teaches us about belief is confidence. When we come up to big moments like this in our lives, whether you're performing a piano piece for the first time at 10 years old or whether you are you know, closing a business deal. You come up to big moments and we ask ourselves these questions and then we end up most of the time with a confidence problem. And the confidence problem that we end up with has to do with where we get it from. Because we have a tendency as broken sinners, we have a tendency to look to ourselves to get the confidence that we need to do life to be successful, to do certain things. We even look to ourselves to get the confidence to do the Christian life. We look to ourselves to have the confidence to obey God. And we even, we encourage each other this way, right? When somebody is having trouble with confidence, they're up against a big moment, and we've got a friend. If I'm being a good friend, then I'm going to say, hey, you got this. 
Well, what's so bad about that? Well, it's because we end up with a confidence problem because we tend to look toward ourselves. And it's a two-sided coin because sometimes I look to myself, I look in myself to find the confidence to do what I need to do, and it might work for certain things. I might find it there. Well, that's a problem because the more reliant on myself I am, the less reliant upon God I am. Now, the other side of the coin is I look inside of myself to find the confidence that I need to do what it is God's calling me to do or to do whatever's in front of me, and I don't find it there. And I'm crushed, and I'm weak, and I can't move forward. It's actually on this side of the coin that we encounter the person that we're going to talk about today in Scripture. Would you turn to Exodus chapter 3? Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, the situation is this. God's chosen people, Israel, have been in slavery for quite a long time, hundreds of years. And they've called out to God, they've cried out to God for help, and God has said, I've heard your cry, because God pays attention to us, right? So he's heard our cry, and we're crying out to him for help. And this is a problem, that God's chosen people are in Israel, or God's chosen people are in slavery because God's chosen people should be free, not enslaved, and they should be in the land. This is a problem, and God agrees that this is a problem. And I heard someone say it this way, I love it. When God wants to solve a problem, he raises up a person. Look all over throughout Scripture. When God wants to solve a problem, he raises up a person. And so he looks to a man named Moses. Moses has got some interesting credentials. He, uh, though he is Hebrew, he was raised in Egypt. And then when he witnessed as an adult one of his fellow countrymen uh, giving trouble to the Hebrew people, he got in a fight with one of them and killed him. And eventually ran off. And so he ends up in a far-off land. And just to give you some context to this, at this time where we're introduced to Moses in this story, he's about 80 years old. Okay? Just so you understand where he is. Moses has a confidence problem. The confidence problem that he has, like I said, it can be on one of two sides of the coin, but the one that he has is that he doesn't have any. And in his talk with God, we're going to see where God wants us to look to have confidence in life. Because we need confidence, right? You have to have confidence to walk forward in life. You can't go without it. But where it comes from matters. Where it comes from matters. Do I look to myself for it or do I look somewhere else? So let's look at the story as we dive into it. Exodus chapter 3 verse 1. The verses will be on the screen for you, but if you've got a copy of the Bible, I encourage you to look them up. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jericho, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. 
Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. It's very formal self-talk for Moses. <laughs> when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. That's interesting. Moses, Moses, come over here. Okay, stop. That's interesting. Take off your sandals, Moses, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father and the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. All right, so I want you to imagine this scenario. Moses is walking along and he encounters a bush that's on fire. How many of you have ever seen anything that's on fire? Okay, it's, those of you who raised your hands, good job. Everybody else, you're lying. You've seen something that's on fire. I invite crowd participation during the sermons. It's okay. You can raise your hand. You've seen something that's on fire, okay? Here's what's interesting to me about this. How long do you think it would take to determine that the fire wasn't burning up the bush? Probably more than a couple of seconds, right? Because if you just look at a bush that's on fire, you would think, oh, there's a bush that's on fire. Doo-doo-doo. But notice what it says here. It says, when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, he took notice of it. He took notice of it. I think it would take, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 seconds maybe to look at the bush and determine, hey, wait a minute. It's on fire, but the leaves aren't burning up. He was drawn in and he was paying attention now. This, of course, is the presence of God. It's really important for us to note that God appears in this fire and that the fire itself is self-sustaining, right? What does fire do? It consumes, right? And fire goes on as long as there is fuel. Wasn't it interesting that this fire is burning up in the bush and it's not burning the bush up because it doesn't need to. Because it says something about our God. He doesn't need external fuel sources. He is self-sufficient. I think this is part of what God wanted Moses to notice here. Let's go on to verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Here comes the big moment for Moses. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? 
is a big moment. We talked about big moments. This is a big moment for Moses. Moses, I got a job for you. The call from God has come, and Moses is sensing something. The thing that Moses is sensing is that the job ahead of me is bigger than me. This is huge. And so he's having a crisis of confidence. And so God is going to step in here and is going to begin to talk to him. Now, you would think, I think you would think that God might begin by saying, hey, you're Moses. Hey, look inside yourself, Moses. You're special. You've got this. But that's not what God does. That's not what God does at all. Our solution when we come up to big moments like this tends to be to power up. We tend to want to power up over them, to find a way to be victorious, right? We even do this. We use faith words for this too. No, I got this. I declare this in the name of, I've got it. It's going to happen. All of that kind of stuff. Or just plain, hey, I believe in myself. I've got confidence that I can pull this off. I'm going to stroll in to Pharaoh's court. This should start to sound ridiculous to you. And I'm going to say, hey, Pharaoh, let him go. Like I'm Clint Eastwood or something. (laughs) But it tends to be our solution when we encounter big moments, things that we got to do, that big test, that big interview, that big conversation. I got this. I look in the mirror. You know you've done it, guys. Right? All right. I got this. I'm going to do this. We even encourage each other this way. We expect encouragement from God in this way, but there's a problem with this. If we were to receive encouragement from God in this way, what is that building up inside of us? My pride. Pride is simply self-focus. When I'm focused on me, Moses here is asking, who am I? Why? Because he's focused on him. He's looking at the situation at large, and he's looking at him, and he's saying, I don't have it. I don't have it. And this is where his focus is. And look at what God wants him to focus on. Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, not if, but when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses says, who am I? Who am I that I should do this? And God's response is what? I understand, but Moses, who am I? See what he's doing here? Here's the first thing I want you to take from this. If we are going to become people who are God-confident people, who are able to face with difficult situations, big situations, and walk with confidence in him rather than ourselves, we need to fix our focus on his presence. Why don't you write that down? Fix my focus on his presence. God appears to Moses in a flaming bush. He appears to Moses in a flaming bush and he begins to speak to him, gives him a job, 
And Moses, at his first point of self-doubt, God says, I will be with you. That's powerful. You experience self-doubt. Maybe you experience it on a daily basis. That could be. I experience it on a daily basis. And I think we have varying solutions to this, but what if we did this? What if we fixated our focus on God's presence? I want to ask you this. How often throughout the course of your daily life do you spend just focusing on the reality that God is present with you? If you're a Christian, this is a guarantee for you, right? You've given yourself to Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. You have his presence all the time. But I think that we tend to underestimate God's presence. Do we not? I think that we do. God answers our inadequacy with his presence. That's how he answers it. Whenever I go to him and I say, God, I don't know if I can do this, right? Especially if it's something God's called us to do, some kind of area of obedience that he wants us to follow through on. And I say, I don't know that I got this. And God responds, God doesn't even answer Moses' question. Moses says, who am I? And God doesn't answer the question. You know why God doesn't answer the question? Because to answer the question would leave Moses still only focused on himself and would not lift his focus and fixate his focus on God's presence and the reality of God's presence. This is why he doesn't answer the question. And so when you and I encounter big situations, when you and I encounter those things and we are wondering whether or not we've got it, here's the answer. You don't. I know that that might be a little bit hard to hear because we want to know that we're enough. And there are even some Christian teachers who will teach you that God wants you to know that you're enough. That's what they'll say. Well, here's what we're doing. We're confusing two things. We're confusing value and competency and worthiness, right? I am made in the image of the holy God. I am, I am of inestimable value to him. Okay? Right? He said this many times in scripture. Look at Psalm 139 for the proof of this. This is the reality. But it's because I belong to him and he has made me. But I am not enough. Those two things can be true at the very same time. And they are. I am of incredible value to my heavenly father. But when it comes to doing life and what it takes to follow him and be in obedience to him in as many moments as I can possibly muster in my life, I don't have it. I am not enough. And you know what? That's okay. Why? Because he meets you with his presence. When you are focused on God's presence, you don't have to worry about your performance. We live in a performance-focused culture. Everything is about how we do, how we perform. And God says, no, I'm with you. Look at this. Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to throw the verses on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus gives a massive job to the disciples. Right at the end, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. Look at what he says. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Easy job. 
No, big job. Biggest job responsibility ever. Hey, you know what? Just go out there and uh, convert everybody to me and, uh, and teach them all the stuff that I've been teaching you. If you haven't forgotten any of it, hopefully you wrote it down. And, and then does he say, what does he say? Does he say, hey, hey, go, you guys got this. No, look at what he says. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Because it's not about my inadequacy or adequacy or any of those things. When it comes to the big moments, when it comes to what God is calling me to do, I focus on his presence. Because he is with me. I encourage you to spend some time this week lingering in God's presence. I use that word very specifically, linger there. You ever lingered in God's presence before? God showed up in a flame. We love fires, right? Bonfire fans, yeah. Fireplace fans, all that kind of stuff. Why do we like it? Because it's warm? Well, maybe. But we love to look at it, right? There's, there's beauty in it. It's power. You got to respect it, but it's beautiful. Linger in God's presence this week. Just spend time with him. Don't underestimate the reality of just being around with him. Hang with him. We like to have strict purposes for everything. I got to have this devotional and exactly what the application point is. Give me the application point and God's saying, just hang with me. Look at what that can do and what confidence it will fill you up with because then you're not focused on you and your performance. You're focused on my presence. Amen? Let's continue on. Chapter 3, verse 13 in Exodus. This is a bit of a longer chunk and I'm just going to read it all the way through because Moses has got more doubts. Verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Let's say I do this. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now, as we read on, I want you to note how many times God says, I will blank, okay? Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I've promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, all of the ites, and a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at this. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. And maybe Moses might be thinking here, I don't have a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. 
and I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people. I love this. So that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask, not demand, ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. I'm going to give you not only your freedom, but all of this stuff, and they're just going to hand it to you. I will, I will, I will, I will. Here's a second point of focus for us. If we are going to have God-sized confidence, not self-confidence, I need to focus on his presence, and I need to focus on his promises. These are promises that God is giving to Moses. Now, you might want you don't, don't be too hard on Moses here, okay? Because if you're anything like me, you might be thinking at this part in the story, dude, this is enough, man. Look at what God has just told him. He said, I'm, going, I'm sending you here, and it's going to work. It's going to work. I will do this. I will do that. I will do this. I will give you all the favor. You're going to walk out with all their stuff, and then you're going to come worship me on this mountain. I'm saying to you, this will happen. God is a God of words before deeds. Okay? Your God is a God of words before deeds. Look at all over in Scripture, even back to the beginning of creation. What did he do? He spoke. Almost always, before God does something, he says he's going to do it. Do you know why he does this? Because his words are as good as his deeds. His word is so firm, you can bank on it happening. When he says it, it will happen. And he's saying to Moses, this is going to work. I will, I will, I will. And when we encounter situations that make us question the confidence that we have, make us shake in our knees a little bit, all of those things, and we are called upon to continue to obey, to continue to live the life that God has called us to live. When we look at ourselves, we're going to shake. We get a little more steadied if we are looking at God's promises. But I mean really looking at them, repeating them over and over and over again. This is a really important concept. I want to show you this in Hebrews chapter 11. There's a, there's a passage. If you're familiar with the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11 is a bit of a classic chapter in the Bible. It's kind of known as the hall of faith. You know, by faith, this person did this. By faith, you know, Enoch was taken from this life so he did not experience death. By faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark. By faith, Abraham, when called to go somewhere he'd never been and didn't know where he was going, he went, right? And there's an interesting statement here. The writer of Hebrews actually tells us why they were able to walk in confidence and do all of those things. It says in verse 13, I've got it up on the screen for you. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. That's a problem. They only, here it is. And I'm setting this up for you because I'm telling you honestly, when I, when I got this and internalized it into my heart, it changed my life. This sentence right here. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. 
admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. They saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Okay, this is what we got to do. We're not going to shake in our knees. We're going to have God-shaped confidence in everything that we are setting out to do and everything God's calling us to do in this life. We need to fixate, fix our focus on God's promises and repeat them over and over and over again. We do this by welcoming them from a distance. What has God promised you? Do you know what he's promised you? I think sometimes we get confused about this. I think sometimes we think that God has promised us certain things and he hasn't. You know, well, didn't God promise me that I'd be wealthy? Nope. (laughs) I heard some laughs out there. You all know. Did God promise me that I'd be healthy? Nope. What did he promise me? Well, it's right here. There's tons of them. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. That's a promise, right? If you're wayward in your ways, if you only return to me, says the Lord, I will turn to you. Like this, these are promises that God has given us. Also, one day I will wipe the tears away from every eye. These are promises. But if we don't welcome them from a distance, then we're just going to be living life tunnel visioned right here. And someday your continued obedience to God is going to rest on where you're drawing your confidence from. It's going to happen. And if you are doing what they did, welcoming these promises from a distance, you will be firm. What does it mean to welcome them from a distance? Well, have you ever, have you ever invited someone over to your home I know that we don't do this a lot these days. But if you've invited someone over to your house, what do you do? You get ready, don't you? I experienced this as a kid. Because I had to think before I invited a friend over to my house because I knew what it would mean it would mean I'd get enlisted in mom's army of cleaners. Wait, your friend's coming over? Stop everything. We must clean this house from top to bottom and disinfect every surface. Mom, I don't even think I've been in that room in 20 years. Doesn't matter. Gotta be clean. I love my mom. I gotta say that because she listens to the podcast. That's what she did. Even if, no, mom, you don't understand. They're not even coming in the door. They're just coming and dropping something off for us. So got to clean the whole house. Just in case they might look over my shoulder and through the screen door and see the reality that is the mess of our lives. <laughs> got to clean it. Got to get ready. Well, this is, you invite somebody over, maybe not quite as extreme, but you get ready. You prepare. You set the table. Why? Because they're coming. They're not there yet. They're on the way. God has given us promises. Many of them will not be fulfilled until the next life, right? That he will cure all diseases. Well, clearly that's not this life. It's the next life. But I welcome it from a distance, meaning that I arrange my life expecting it to be here. It's going to happen. It's going to come true. I know the promises ahead. I know that I'm sick right now, but God has given me these promises. 
and I'm holding to them, and I'm reading them over and over again, and I'm memorizing them, and I'm reciting them, and I am welcoming them from a distance because someday it's going to be today. That fills us with God confidence. This is what God wanted for Moses. Don't be too hard on Moses, okay? We are Moses. Wants him to fixate on his presence, wants Moses to fix his focus on his promises and the security of his word. By the way, he also wants him to stand on the the security of God's name. He said, I am who I am. That's the question that, that God answered. What is your name? He said, I am who I am. Why did he start this whole section with his name and then gave all of these promises? Because God is saying, this is so sure, it's so much of a sure thing, I'm putting my name on it. You only put your name on stuff that you, I mean, you mean, like this is, I'm staking my name and my reputation on it. Tara sang that song, Speak the Name. Speak his name. Speak his name. Welcome the promises. His word is sure. Watch what it does for you. Let's continue on and conclude the story. Chapter four, the story continues. Chapter four, verse one says this. Moses answered, after all those promises, what if they do not believe me? Oh, man. Or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? (laughs) Kind of random. A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. Hello. And he ran from it. Makes sense. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. What? Would you do that? If you take it by the tail, what does it leave exposed? Take it by the tail. So Moses reached out, probably not understanding why, and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, says the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand in his cloak and when he took it out, his skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. And Moses said, got it, no problem. Nope. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight, makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. And Moses said, got it. No problem. Thumbs up. No. Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Demonstration of power, demonstration of power, demonstration of power. Moses still says, nope. Why? Because Moses was fixated on his own power and not God's power. This is what we gotta do. You're God confident, 
get focused on his power, his ability, what he can do, not what you can do. Now, it's going to feel sometimes like, you got this. I can handle this. Don't fall for that deceit. (laughs) Whatever you have inside of you, God gave to you anyway. It's all from him. So it's better to say, what can God do through me? We don't often notice the power of God in our lives. I think we kind of let it go by. Maybe sometimes, or you're like, well, if I threw a staff on the ground and it turned into a snake, I'd notice. <laughs> well, true, but that's not the only way that God's power makes its way into our lives. Let me demonstrate this for you. Did you wake up today? That's God's power. Did you eat something? The provision of that food is God's power in your life. Did you walk around? Did you see things? Did you hear things? Did you lift anything with your hands? It's God's power giving you the ability. Did you speak? This is the one that Moses is worried about. And so God gives him this prescription. You need to focus on my power, but not just focus on my power. You need to give me credit where credit is due. He's saying, I can't speak. And God says, who made your mouth? That was me. I put together all of the atoms and the muscles and everything else that works in together to make it possible for you to say a word. And do you think I can't teach you what to say? You think I got that too? I've got the power. You don't need to have the power. I've got the power. But if we're trusting in ourselves and our own abilities, it's going to be a long fall. Let's end with this. We should go to Matthew chapter 26. It's a New Testament example of this. Jesus has a crew of disciples that he is, as I just said, he's, he's going to charge them with the biggest job in the history of the world, get the church started, no big deal. And he, told, he tells Peter, he's kind of one of his prime guys, he says, listen, you are the rock. I'm going to build everything on you. But Peter has a confidence problem. Moses' confidence problem was that he was looking for it in himself and couldn't find it. Peter's confidence problem is what? He's looking for himself, and he found it. Right? Let's look at this. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. What is that? That's self-confidence. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, he doubles down. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Fast forward to verse 75. He actually does it. He falls Despite his best efforts and his best ability and his best power, he falls, and then the summation is here in verse 75. Then Peter remembered the words of Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept 
bitterly. That weeping, those tears, was Jesus purging Peter of his self-strength and self-reliance and self-confidence. He was, he was purging it out. Because, what did he say? On, on you I will build my church. But you're not ready for that yet. We gotta get you out of this cycle where you come up against a big thing and you double down and you power up and you say, I got this. And Jesus is like, no, I don't want followers who got this. I want followers who know they don't got this and go to me and say, I need the strength from you. 100%, I'm completely, radically dependent on you. You know how gracious Jesus is? Peter, this is huge. He falls hard. And what does Jesus do? He reinstates him. Jesus reinstates him. You never notice the question that Jesus asked Peter when he reinstates him? Peter said, he, even if all fall away, I never will. And Jesus said later on in front of the disciples, Peter, do you love me more than these other people do? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? And then it says Peter said that he was hurt by Jesus continuing to ask this question. But I think he was hurt because Jesus was cleaning out the wound. He was healing him of his self-reliance and self-dependence and all of those things and saying, no, you will do this because I will give you the strength. I am with you. Focus on my presence. I will help you. Focus on my promises. I got this. Focus on my power. Can you imagine what your life would be like, how it would be different if you did this very thing, fixated your focus on these things and refused to focus on you? If you did, I'd know God would fill you with the confidence that you need to obey him in every area that he's calling you to obey him in right now. Right now, there's one area in your life that you are shaken in front of. I don't know if it's sharing your faith with that neighbor or if it's being generous in a way that God's calling you to be generous or if it's just having that conversation that you know you need to have. Whatever it is, focus on these things because he's with you. He has made promises to you that will come true and he has this. Fixate on those things, not on yourself. And watch the confidence that God fills you up with. And that confidence won't have anything to do with you. Parents, I'm going to give this one to you. Don't raise kids who believe in themselves. Raise kids who believe in God, and they don't work together. Kid comes to me and says, well, I'm dumb, I don't have any... No. Find a way to change the track of thought and get them thinking about who God is and how God is powerful and how God will get this done. And when I fill up my kids with all of this stuff about, no, you're smart, you're special, you're going to be fine, all that stuff, they're going to grow into adults and they're going to believe it. And either they're going to be like Peter or they're going to find that it's not there and they're going to be like Moses. I don't want them to be like either one. I want them to be like Jesus. Fill them with thoughts of God. Lift their focus Fix your focus on him and watch what he does. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, you are with us. You have given us the secure foundation of your word and you have given us demonstration of your power. Lord, fill us with confidence to obey, 
to walk forward in life. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that right now you would move us, each one of us, to take a step forward in confidence. Whatever it is that we've been hesitating on, help us step forward and do it, trusting that you will be there every step of the way, Lord. Because when we get lost in you, we're filled with everything we need. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll see you next week.